Amen. Good morning, everyone. It's a real joy to be back at Meadowbrook this morning, the opportunity to share God's Word with you. And I think I've said to you before, and you probably already know this, but as a director of missions, the only uh, real opportunities I have to preach, unless I'm called out somewhere else to a revival or something of that nature outside the county, to get to preach on Sunday means the pastor's on vacation or he's sick or something else takes him away. And uh, so I'm always looking for pastors on vacation and who are sick. <laughs> In fact, I had a pastor last night call and ask if I could come this morning and fill in for him. He was uh, noticeably sick. I could hear it in his voice, and uh, unfortunately I couldn't help him, but he was calling someone else. But it's good to see you, and I'm glad to have the opportunity to open the book this morning and share with you. I invite you to turn with me to Second Timothy chapter 2. And while you're turning there, I want to say a personal word of gratitude to you as my congregation and Sandra's congregation for your prayers for us and your prayers for Sandra. The picture in the directory of us is, I think, probably the last time she attended church, which was on a Mother's Day, I think, and um, some time ago. And uh, your prayers for her and your thoughts of her and uh, the cards and notes are so appreciated. Many of you have mentioned her to me this morning inquiring about her, and I appreciate your thoughtfulness very much. There's a sweet spirit here at Meadowbrook, and the worship this morning was worship that blessed my heart, and just the fellowship and the smiles and the handshakes and just watching you and listening to you is a blessing to my heart. This morning I'm preaching from Second Timothy chapter 2, and I'll be there tonight and next Sunday morning, next Sunday night. And if I had time, I could do all that's here, but I only have four services, and I'm picking up uh, four of the uh, pictures, metaphors, portraits of a Christian found in Second Timothy chapter 2. Uh, Paul uh, lists here, I think, about eight metaphors, and I'm going to point those out to you in a moment, and gives us a picture of what a Christian ought to look like. Each one of the metaphors contains different characteristics and different traits, and when all of these come together, it makes uh, a pretty fantastic Christian. But I come with a burden and a desire to really communicate God's Word and to share God's Word. I take preaching seriously. And when I was preparing to preach here at Meadowbrook today and thinking about this opportunity, which I cherish, I was, um, in my heart I was saying, Lord, I want to say something. I, I want to be able to say something that people will remember, that will be meaningful, that will be a blessing, that can be life-changing. And I was talking to Sandra about this, and she said, you remind me of something I read in one of my devotional books by Selwyn Hughes. She said that a couple went to a counselor uh, having some issues, and when it came the husband's time to talk, the counselor addressed him, and, uh, the, and, the, and the husband said, well, she just talks, she just talks too much. And uh, the counselor said, well, what did she say? And uh, the husband said, well, that's the problem. She never says. <laughs> Some of you will get that in a little bit. I, um, I, I, I don't want to be one of those kind of preachers that 
that takes up 30 minutes of your time or maybe a little more than that and you walk outside, get in your car and say, what did he say? I don't want that happening. I want to be uh, understood and hopefully encouraging to you. I want us to look at these uh, metaphors just for a moment. I'm I'm, going to walk around the text and lay some groundwork, if I may, just preparatory for the fact that there's four sermons in this series. But let me point out these metaphors to you. In verse 1, you will see the sun. We're not dealing with this one, but uh, Paul says, You therefore, my son. And that really becomes a metaphor of the Christian life. Uh, verse 2 gives a picture of a teacher to commit these, these to faithful men, he says, which is a picture of a teacher. But then to the ones that really stand out and really stand on their own as metaphor, starts in verse 3. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier. There's the, the main one. We're dealing with that one this morning. Verse 5, athletics, the metaphor of an athlete, a Christian being like an athlete. Verse 6, the hard-working farmer. And then we come down to verse 14 and we see that phrase, or 15, and we find the phrase, a worker, a workman. That is one of the metaphors. Then we come to verse 20, and we see the word vessels in verse 20, and that is a metaphor. In verse 24, we also find the word servant, and that is a metaphor. If we dealt dealt with all of the metaphors, it would be son, teacher, soldier, athlete, uh, farmer, worker, vessel, servant. But for these four sermons and these two Sundays we have together... I'm picking up really the main ones, and three of them stand out very, very much and very obvious, and that is soldier, verse 3 and 4, athlete, verse 5, farmer, verse 6, and worker, and verse 15. So here we are uh, launching out into this study of these metaphors, which I call portraits of a Christian, portraits of a Christian. Now, you might ask the question, why did Paul write to Timothy along these lines? Why did did he do what he did in terms of laying out uh, pictures of the kind of person he wanted Timothy to be and all who come to faith in Christ to be? I don't know about you, but I know many people, including myself, are conceptual learners. I love that phrase, a picture is worth a thousand words. You can talk to me about certain things and give clear explanation of certain things that I may not quite grasp, but show me a picture. I'm so thankful for this new medium that that we have today called YouTube, YouTube tutorials. I don't know how many times I pull up a YouTube tutorial to see someone in picture format Uh, give instruction on how to repair something that I otherwise would not known how to repair. A picture is worth a thousand words. And here we find Paul writing to Timothy and he's giving him these pictures of the Christian life. I want to still lay some groundwork here and look at chapter 1. If you're looking at chapter 1, verse 6, Paul is... Uh, cultivating the ground, as it were, to get Timothy in a place that he can understand why chapter 2 contains such a strong emphasis. In verse 6, he says to him, I remind you to stir up the gift of 
God. Stir up the gift of God. That is a phrase that you need to underscore. Timothy is being admonished to fan the flames of his spiritual life. And sometimes the fire, uh, the fire kind of tends to want to go out and we have to fan the flames and we have to give oxygen to the fire. This revival meeting that Meadowbrook is entering, the songs that were sung this morning uh, can be times of stirring up the gift, fanning the flames. Verse 8, uh, Paul said, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. So stir up the gift. Do not be ashamed. And then in verse 13 in chapter 1, he says, Hold fast. Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Hold fast. Then verse 14, another admonition here in verse chapter 1, verse 14. That good thing which was committed to you, keep And that word keep in the New King James translation, that word keep is a word which means to put protection around it, put a fortress around it, guard it. So Paul is dealing with this young man, Timothy, writing a letter to him, the last letter he will send to Timothy. Paul knows that he's soon to die. He knows that he's just days away from a martyr's death. And he takes this last opportunity to pour into young Timothy things and information, encouragements that he needs because Paul was seeing a changing world. He knew that Timothy and Christians who would follow him would be living in a world that was resistant to Christianity and rejecting of Christianity, not embracing Christianity. He knew that the times in which Timothy would be living would be difficult times, hard times, challenging times. And therefore he writes this letter to strengthen and encourage Timothy to be strong, to be strong. And ladies and gentlemen and young people especially, we are living in such times ourselves as modern day Christians. We live in a world that does not embrace Christianity. We live in a world that does not love Jesus Christ. We live in a world that rejects the authority of God's word. And we need, like Timothy, to stir up the gift, fan the flames of that life of Christ within us. We need not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. We need to hold fast, get a tight Blue knuckle grip on the truths of God's word. Do not let go. I don't know how many of you are following the trends of some of our current leaders in Christendom who are actually teaching that there's a disconnect of the Old Testament to the New Testament. Some are even saying unhitch, unhitch the Old Testament from the New Testament because it is only confusing to Christians. Listen, this is not a book of one testament. It is a book of two testaments. When the Bible says that it isn't the inspired word of God, it means Genesis to Revelation. This is the word, infallible, inerrant, immutable word of God. But we're living in times where that is not embraced by all. You understand that, I'm sure. The apostle, the, the Warren Wearsby, who is a writer that I love very much, uh, tells us that we need to use our sanctified imagination. And hopefully in these days we can see 
some imagination of what Paul is saying to Timothy here. Let's turn to chapter 2 as I hurry along. And um, by the way, I don't have to say everything that I'm saying now again tonight. This is still foundational for four sermons. But look at chapter 2 and verse 1. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That's a good word. Uh, Metaphorically, again, this, uh, this text, this whole book, but this text comes to life right now. You... Therefore, my son, this is language. This is language that if we were to bring it into our modern day vernacular, Paul would be saying something like this. Timothy, I'm talking to you, Timothy. I'm talking to you. In my sanctified imagination, I can see a father speaking to a son with great urgency. And great burden and great concern. And I can almost see that father putting his hands. And I did this as a parent, as a father, when my son was very young. And I would put my hands on his cheeks and hold him, almost like blinders. I would put to him like this and I would hold him. And I don't mean in an abusive way. I mean in a loving, fatherly, caressing way. I would hold his cheeks and I would say, look at me. And listen to me. Now that is a way of amplifying the urgency of the word. And that is exactly what Paul is doing to Timothy. In light of the times in which Timothy would live and minister. You therefore my son be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And ladies and gentlemen and young people, I'm so thankful that that is a complete sentence ending with Christ Jesus. Paul did not say, you therefore, my son, be strong. He said, be strong in the grace which is in Christ Jesus. Be strong in the grace which is in Christ Jesus. That is the source of our strength. Amen? Amen. Well, let's get to talking about the soldier. We go now to that soldier. And Paul is telling Timothy that he should be like a soldier. That's in verse 3. Verse 2. Let's read verse 2. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. By the way... If I could just stay in introductory mode for a moment, this is a verse that you ought to circle and underline and highlight because it is the secret of the work of the church today. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This is the ripple effect of your life making a difference in other lives. It will make a difference in other lives. It will make a difference in other lives. It will make a difference in other lives. And today we seem to have lost the ability to do that. The church should be making the ripple effect of your life, my life, touching a life, and that life touching a life, and that life touching a life. And there has to be an intentionality about that. It can't just happen. I mean, it's not going to just happen. There has to be an intentionality about that. All right, let's look at this first element of what it means to be... uh, the kind of Christian Paul is admonishing Timothy, Timothy to be. He says, you therefore must endure 
hardship as a good soldier. Endure hardship as a good soldier. Now, some of you have been in military service and you understand, I think, what uh, Paul is talking about here. That's not an easy life, not a comfortable life. It's a hard life. When a man or a woman enters military service, one of the first things that begins and with a goal in mind, with an end in mind, with a purpose in mind, is to turn that girl into a woman, that boy into a man, and to put something in them in terms of strength and integrity and character, physically, spiritually, and emotionally, that that person can endure the storms, the trials, and the battles of life. When Paul picked up this metaphor, that is what he was saying to Timothy. You must be as a good soldier. You must go through the training. You must go through the discipline. You must endure hardships as a good soldier. That word hardship in our text is a word which means literally to suffer evil, to suffer trouble, to endure affliction. So the Christian life is not an easy life. And I think sometimes we do people an injustice when we try to play down the challenge of what it means to be a Christian. When I was a pastor, many times when we were at the time of year in which we're in now, when nominating committees would start doing their work, I I don't know the times I've heard people who were on the committee talking, uh, trying to recruit a volunteer, saying it won't be too difficult, won't take much time, meet once a year. You know, they play down, play down what it's going to cost. Listen, the Christianity, the Christian life is not a cheap thing. It costs Christ, as we were singing a moment ago, his precious blood. And it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost me something. There are hardships that come with the Christian life. It's not an easy life. Now, the, you know, when I talk to a multi-generational audience like this, I see the heads of some of the older folks nodding. I see the younger people in the middle somewhere kind of thinking, well, I think there may be some truth to that. And the younger people sitting, I don't know anything about what you're speaking. Uh, but let me just say this, live long enough and you will. The struggles come. The trials come. The battles come. Well, Paul just said two things about the soldier, two fundamental characteristics about the soldier. And these two fundamental characteristics should be in your life and in my life. Therefore, you must endure hardship as a good soldier. That's number one, endure hardship, endure hardship. How much does it take to get you to throw in the towel? How, long, how much does it take to get you to give up? How much does it take you to come to the point that you say, this Christianity thing's just not working for me? I was talking to someone recently who hasn't been in church in a long time by deliberate choice. Had made the decision just not to go back. When I asked why, The answer was, somebody hurt my feelings. Somebody hurt my feelings. Well, folks, if somebody hurting your feelings is all it's going to take to get you not to be a follower of Christ and to give up your place in kingdom ministry and to stop going to church, and I'm not talking about stop just stop going to a church. I'm talking about not going to church. Do you understand what I'm saying? 
It wasn't just, I'm not going to go back to that one. I'm not going to go to any of them. Well, I sat on my porch a couple of days ago and pondered that conversation, as I'm apt to do when I have conversations with people like that. And I thought about my place as a pastor for 42 years. And I began to think about some of the things that had been said to me and some of the treatment that I'd received, some of the misrepresentations that had taken place. And I began to think about some of the pain that I thought at the moment was bordering on being a fatal blow to my life and ministry. I, I know what it is to have somebody to hurt your feelings. But I'm going to tell you something. I serve a Christ who is more worthy of my commitment and continuance than anybody that's going to have something bad or negative or painful to say. Put your eyes on Jesus. Put your eyes on Jesus. Put your eyes on Jesus. Endure the hardships. And if I could just say a word of admonishment to those of us who are brothers and sisters in Christ, and I'm not saying this to Meadowbrook. I think this is a sweet fellowship. However, we're all human beings. I would say it to the church in general at large. We need to stop being so mean to each other. There's a world watching us. There is a world watching us. They're watching how we talk to each other. They're watching how we treat one another. They're watching. And we are not the enemy. <laughs> the enemy is out there. And I think sometimes, but Paul knew what he was saying. He said, you need to endure hardship. But the second thing he said is in verse 4. In verse 4, he said, endure hardship. Verse 3 and verse 4, he said, uh, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. So the second thing is separation to God. Consecration to God, yielding to God, give yourself without reservation, without hesitation. You don't have the tentacles holding on to the world. You're fully devoted to Christ. Jesus himself spoke now of the hardships that the soldier must face. We sang about this a moment ago. We had some good songs for this worship service this morning. Listen to Matthew chapter 16 and verse 24 through 25. Jesus talked about the hardship that we would face as Christians. He says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. If we want to follow Christ, Jesus said, come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. What do you think about when you see the cross? What is behind that image of the cross? What does it mean ultimately? The cross ever and always is a symbol of death. And when Jesus said, if you want to follow me, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to be in my army, if you want to be a soldier in my army, you need to take up your cross. And that means a death. I heard one preacher say one time, and I understood exactly what he was talking about, somebody, uh, this was a, a character from, from uh, Christian history, someone was threatening his life, and he said, you really can't kill me, you can't kill me. And the offender was saying, what do you mean? He said, you can't, I can't kill you. And the man said, I'm already dead. You can't kill a dead man. And that's what it means to take up the cross. When Jesus said that we take up our cross, it means that we would die to self. In Luke chapter 9 and verse 58, Jesus spoke to a man who wanted to be a follower. 
And he said to this man, by the way, the man called him Lord. He said, Lord, I want to follow you. I want to be in your army. I want to be a disciple. I want to be one of yours. And Jesus said, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. The hardships. The hardships. Now when I hear somebody or read somebody that's writing about things like Paul is writing about here. When he talks about to Timothy, you're going to have to endure hardships. You're going to have to go through some hard times. The Christian life is not an easy life. It's a difficult life. Um, I want to know if he knows what he's talking about. And if you have your Bible still open and at hand, I invite you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I want to read just a few verses, starting in verse 23. The words of the Apostle Paul. The words of the Apostle Paul. Now here's the man who's writing to Timothy. Here's the man who's writing about hardship. Does he know anything about of what he's writing? I love to hear the rustling of the leaves as you're turning. And if you're having difficulty, it's on page 1302. 2 Corinthians. By the way, that number probably will not work for you. 2 Corinthians. Did I say 12 or 11? It's 11. 11. Look at verse 23. To get the block of scripture, let's look at verse 22. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant. Now listen, here he goes. Listen. Look at it. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received forty stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys often in perils. Of water in perils, of robbers in perils, of my own countrymen in perils of the Gentiles, in perils of the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil and sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. And besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. I, I want that passage to just sink in a moment. Paul is conveying to his son in the ministry there will be hardships. And he can say, Timothy, as I hold your face in my hands, I'm speaking to you, Timothy. I speak from experience. And where I've been is where you are going. Be strong in the grace which is in Christ Jesus. You know the astounding thing to me about this passage we've just looked at? Paul gives this litany, this list of these incredible abuses that he experienced. And, but he closes with this phrase here. He says, besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, the things that is upon me, 
is my deep, the thing that weighs heaviest upon me is my deep concern for the church and for the churches. An incredible, incredible statement. So Paul is talking about hardship. But the second thing that he says to Timothy is not only you endure hardships as a good soldier. In verse 4, he says you must not be engaged in the warfare. And that no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him. These are important verses. This verse here speaks to what we call sanctification, consecration. It's a doctrine that we don't focus on so much today, but it is one that Paul is emphasizing to Timothy. A Christian is set apart from the world. He is different from those who do not know Christ. This morning as I was driving to Meadowbrook, I was listening to an audio book, Lectures to My Students by Charles Spurgeon. I think you know that name, the Baptist preacher of England and the Victorian era, era, the mid-1800s, a man whose writings and ministry I've respected all of my ministry, Charles Spurgeon. I was listening to chapter 1, and he starts off, he started off by writing and teaching and telling pastors they needed to be holy and pure. I I came to this pulpit under a a real sense of... uh, awareness of the reality of the truths I heard as I was driving in that before a man of God stands to speak the word of God to the people of God he'd better be sure he's right with God but it wasn't just for a momentary moment of preaching a sermon Spurgeon was emphasizing the entirety of life God said be holy even as I'm holy when was the last time you heard a sermon on be holy even as God is holy Paul said a soldier cannot be a civilian, and a civilian cannot be a soldier. When a man goes to battle, he's focused on the battle. He wears the uniform of the army. He follows the training and the commands of his commanding officers. He can't dilly-dally over here and be effective over here. A few years ago, George Barna, who is a pollster and a surveyor of church trends and information put out a report that was absolutely mind-boggling to me. He says, we are now living in a period of time when there's no distinguishable difference between Christians and non-Christians. That's one of the most sobering things I've heard in recent years. No distinguishable difference between Christians and and non-Christians. We must be separated. And I love the motivation here in Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life. You know, the way I would say this, you can't live with one foot in this world and one foot in the other world. You've got you've to decide where you're going to stand. You've got to decide who you're going to be. And I think the most miserable Christian is the one who's trying to be a Christian and be a worldling at the same time. 
There's a conflict of soul and heart and conscience that will not let you go, and I pray will never let you go. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life. And then I close with this last statement of Paul, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Brothers and sisters in Christ, may we be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. And may we be able to withstand and endure the trials that come to us as Christians. May we be able to stand boldly, strongly, firmly for our faith in Christ as Paul is admonishing Timothy. And may we realize that in order to do that, we must be separated from the world. There must be a marked difference between a Christian and a non-Christian. Our language should be different. Our dress should be different. Our language should be different. Our lifestyle should be different. How we spend our money should be different. What we read should be different. What we watch should be different. Everything should be different. And that is a hard, bitter pill for some people to swallow. And that doesn't mean that you need to look like you came from Mars and that you don't even belong in this world in that sense. But it does mean that people ought to be able to look at you, hear you, be around you, and know that there's something different about you. And that difference is Christ. Be a good soldier. Be a good soldier. Endure hardship. And do not be entangled with this world.